Hi, I'm Jack from Two Minute Trek. I watch Trek with my dad and then we review it in two minutes. So, if you'd like your podcast to be shorter than a trip on a turbo lift, search up Two Minute Trek wherever you listen to. Let's talk about Treks. Rustling papers, rustling papers. Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's Visions of the Future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. Welcome, everybody. Hello. My name is Earl Grey. Mine is Jack Dorino. And we are Let's Talk About Trek. It is the name of the program that we do when we talk about Star Trek. Today we'll be discussing Uh Disco Star Star Trek Discovery. (laughs) Star Trek Discovery, Season 4, Episode 7, Uh But to Connect. Yes. How do you read out loud an ellipsis in the front? Thusly. (laughs) The title is But to Connect? Well, I think I, I, I think I enunciated a question mark too. I apologize. Yes, that's, that's right. it's okay. So the title is, but to connect. Oh, so you hesitate before reading it? I suppose so. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> or maybe you go, maybe you, maybe you go like, but to connect. Is that it? <laughs> I don't know. The release date was the thirtieth of December, twenty twenty-one. Yes, it was. It's the 49th of all of Star Trek Discovery episodes. Of which there are 55 by the time we are recording this. It is the 822nd of all of Star Trek. Of which there are 893 at the time of this recording. Correct. Thank you. We've had issues in the past with reading the higher numbers, so I let you put that in there. Yeah, I think it's fun to, to mention how many episodes there are as opposed to like a date of what now is, because it uh-huh. gives the listener a sense of the perspective from which we're coming okay because we've now watched you know all of season one and two of strange new worlds and strange new worlds by the way was the show that i suggested last episode that a new viewer should watch concurrently with strange new Worlds season two and discovery season four Mm. so it's sort of like we're we're sort of hitting the same story together same Mm. distance from their combined story if that makes sense i think so yeah okay (laughs) So the things that are going on in Spock's life are parallel with the things that are going on with, in Michael Burnham's life. Yeah, they're two years. They're two years after the events where their stories were together. Okay. So we're coming from a perspective of having experienced two years of Michael Burnham's life past when their stories intertwined, and mm-hmm. also Spock's life for two years mm-hmm. past okay. the time their stories intertwined. That's yeah. This episode was written by Terry Hughes and Carlos Cisco, and the director was Lee Rose, who directed a few other episodes of Discovery, namely uh, Choose Your Pain. I think that was the first Harry Mudd episode. Mm-hmm. And then an Obel for Charon, mm. which I believe was a Saru-based episode where we went to Kaminar. And then the examples, which we we actually did this episode recently. David's where Michael Burnham got the little orb thing that made the tree that then Zora mimicked later. Oh, right. Yeah. The one on the uh, asteroid, like prison planet thing. Yes, that. But to connect takes place on an unknown star date sometime in the 32nd century. Tensions rise as representatives from across the galaxy gather to confront the threat of the dark matter anomaly. Sora's new sentience raises difficult questions. This is the episode where 
Zora joined Starfleet and Book stole the spore drive. <laughs> Correct. Is Zora going to wear a Starfleet uniform somehow? Are they going to yeah. paint her a Starfleet uniform now? She already has a Starfleet uniform on. Oh. That, that is her Starfleet uniform. She's clearly, it's like, everyone knows, as soon as everyone sees it, they know it's Starfleet. <laughs> okay. That's the thing about Starfleet uniform. So she's wearing the Starship. She is the Starship. It is her form. Then is she naked? No. Oh, okay. She's programming. <laughs> well, she's not programming. She's, she's in... She's an intelligence. So I, that's that's her outer skin. She is a new life form. Yeah, it's cold in space, but she doesn't really feel the cold, so there's no need for like clothing. Although she's probably wearing a coat of paint. Ah, yes, I see what you did there. There we are. <laughs> so speaking of the idea that we are paralleling, you know, the two years distance from those stories of Discovery and Strange New Worlds intertwining, right? Uh -huh. It's interesting that we've gone back to these departmentally colored uniforms mm -hmm. in Discovery. Yeah. That sort of mirrors the departmental color uniforms that we've known and loved for years and are now there on Strange New Worlds. Uh, yeah. But one thing about the science uniforms mm -hmm. in the space where Stamets and Adira work, they really blend into the background. It's almost like Adira <laughs> and Stamets are just floating heads because like, they really blend in. I don't know if they did like a good screen test in all the locations mm -hmm. with different lighting to make sure that that wouldn't happen because it's, it's really difficult to see. Like, there is an interesting thing about the tone on Discovery. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not dark, dark, like all the time. You know, like, but it, it it's not bright like Picard season three at the very end, right? Yeah. But it's it's not dark like Picard was. Yeah. But I think it's just very contrasty. Like, like sometimes if it's if it's bright, it's very bright. If it's dark, it's very dark. Mm -hmm. And if it's in between, it's very blurry. <laughs> the, the lines are blurred between good and bad. Yeah, maybe that's the idea. That's how I felt about the. Mm -hmm whole council assembly scenes oh. it wasn't very bright wasn't very dark but it was a little yeah. blurry i think that was because of the maybe because of all that blue lighting everywhere maybe that's why the admiral and the president wear neutral colors and the admiral is literally gray i like the gray uniforms i like that too yeah i was not that fond of the color change but i do think it's growing on me a little bit mm -hmm. i don't know that they look all that comfortable considering that the the tunic <laughs> part comes past the waist maybe that's why they're standing all the time yes because they can't sit down <laughs> it's funny when we open this episode they're actually putting zora's new starfleet uniform on they're just doing it a little bit early oh. they have all the dots and they're refitting the skin from the events of stormy mm -hmm. weather when we blew off a whole bunch of whole plates yeah yeah so when adira and uh, stamets are down there blending into the background as they're <laughs> trying to find the origin point of the 10C. There's a note from, I guess, the president who she says that there's representatives coming from... Wait, who said that? Stamets yeah. repeated the message that there were representatives from all four quadrants coming to this meeting that they're having. Yeah, I find that very interesting. How are they all getting there? Are we just back to using warp drive again? And isn't like the Delta Quadrant seventy thousand light years? I don't. It occurred to me the <laughs> other, last night that uh, you still need dilithium even to run, you know, other forms of travel that the Voyager experimented with, like the Voyager two spacecraft. That's no, out no, to, no. Oh. 
the oh. original USS Voyager NCC seven four six five. You got it. All right, it's a brand new. Yeah, so it, it, I mean, they still run their warp drives onto lithium, even when they're using things like transwarp or subspace tunneling or whatever they, the various kind, modes of transportation that the Borg helped them use or sure. other um, species. Yeah. They, they all still used a basic warp drive kind of thing with matter, antimatter, and dilithium as the fuel source? No. Dilithium is the crystal that sits in the middle of the warp drive, and it can channel the reaction that happens yeah. when you collide matter with antimatter into a stream of energy. Why do they decrystallize then, and why do we need to keep on getting more of it? So when matter and antimatter contact one another, they annihilate one another, and release copious amounts of energy. Yeah. Think enormous explosion. So what uh -huh. dilithium does is when you shoot them both into a dilithium crystal, mm -hmm. it contains that huge explosion and shoots out the energy of that massive explosion into a stream out of one facet. Okay. So all of that constant inflow and outflow of energy eventually cracks your crystal in small ways, like all around, like erosion, mm -hmm. or cracks your crystal and you can't put anything else into it because the energy is going to come out in whatever way. It chooses so, instead of out the facet that you've determined to, to come out of. I like that you use the word erosion because that helped me picture more of like the pipe that the water flows through has to be replaced every once in a while. Sure, that is a very good analogy. I like that. It's the pipe that the energy flows through, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, only it's a lot more water <laughs> and a much thinner <laughs> pipe. It's made of crystal after all. Okay. I mean, I have seen in Star Trek other forms of drive systems like we had mm -hmm. the Romulans with the quantum singularity mm -hmm. uh, I can't think of others <laughs> but I feel like there have been some that are you know that are not necessarily using that there was that soliton that's that soliton wave that we experienced one time there was a slingshot yeah. in Voyager there was um I mean there of course is a protostar drive in one but there's a great uh, post television deep space nine book that features um the mirror universe folk mm -hmm. developing a quantum wormhole like they were using first of all they were using artificially generated wormholes for travel and then mm -hmm. they realized they could tweak their artificially generated wormholes for travel and make them poke into other universes so then they oh, like okay. dropped into our universe and stole the defiant and you know madcap <laughs> adventures ensued but yeah, other forms of transportation exist and other means of travel that doesn't require dilithium exist. Okay. Like, Book was traveling, traveling from planet to planet. Like, I, I feel like maybe some people were still using dilithium and warp drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people were still going from system to system. Like, star system, star system to star system is a very long way. It's going to take a very long time without yeah. some more travel. Like, I think it was more like that it was deemed unsafe, so not a lot of people did it, but it was clearly still done. Otherwise, all the warp drives would have not been available as soon as they were ready to come back. Like, they would have had to build new warp drive systems. I mean, obviously, what they're trying to parallel here is a fuel scarcity and trying to break yes. a dependency on a fuel source. Sure. So they needed a way to have a rare fuel source now. So I think the people that have access to dilithium right. may be particularly privileged. Sure. I mean, it certainly 
when we first met Adira and their partner, they were on a generational ship. Uh-huh. So they were using sublight travel. Mm, is that an assumption? Maybe just literally warp one light sure. speed. So, I mean, obviously warp two and so on are significantly faster than just light speed travel. And in in the 24th century, obviously light speed itself is particularly slow. It's like being stuck in, inside of a town and you have to drive 25 miles for Per hour through the town. Yes, yes, I, I, I know that very pain right there, living <laughs> in Washington D.C., where most of the roads in the city are twenty-five miles per hour, and it's actually <laughs> like exponentially faster to drive around the city than to drive through mm -hmm. the city. The problem is that I live in the city, <laughs> so I have to drive out of the city, around the city, and then back into the city <laughs> every day. Oh my, that's gotta be excruciating. It's great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why 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 would I believe you? No. So it it seems like, you know, people are being very careful with their use of dilithium. Right. It's more like out of an abundance of caution than mm -hmm. an actual danger because the burn happened like one as far as we as far as I remember, the burn happened that one time. Like there weren't like many burns after it until yeah. we went down there and started messing with that little kid again. Yeah, but I mean at the time they didn't know what caused the burn, so they right, had no but idea. It seems to me like twenty five years after this catastrophic event. Well, I guess it's like we're not gonna be dumb enough to use this systemically but i'm i'm sure people still used it like if it works they're going to use it yeah but there's still a thought when is this going to happen again could it happen again yeah until michael and her crew discovered how it happened and reassured people yeah that it couldn't happen again or wasn't going to happen again yeah do you think that zora started calculating the coordinates in the moment of the conversation or do you think she had been calculating them for like a couple days and then just happened to finally be coming to the solution at the same time? Somebody mentioned that they'd been working on this for a week already. And it's apparently been at least a week since the last episode. Okay. So I think that it's just a coincidence that she was just wrapping up in this moment. Okay. She's got really good timing in regards to this conversation a lot armor timing because like i would love to be that i would love to be that individual that like as they're having a the conversation i should pop up and be like oh yeah i'm i almost got it give me a second <laughs> like just to go with, like, I'm good. I'm good. Hold on. i mean she's obviously working at trillions of times faster than the people in the room are. sure eliminating possibilities is she's probably eliminating thousands at a time Yes. But one thing I couldn't figure out is how would she eliminate the possibilities? That Yes, that's a great question. And were I a quantum computer or beyond, then I'm sure I could answer that. <laughs> but I'm sure there are many, many factors that Zora took into consideration when trying to figure this out. Yeah. When, when Burnham and Book arrive with Stamets and Tal, mm -hmm. Burnham's trying to explain why you need to give us <laughs> the coordinates. And... I do think about the idea in that moment that Zora's need to protect you is definitely more important. Like, I realized mm -hmm. that, okay, so remember last episode was the episode where Burnham and Book became friends. Okay. I mean, Burnham and Book. Burnham and Zora became Welcome to Let's Talk About Tracks, where often we say the wrong name of the person to whom we're speaking. Usually we don't catch it. We just keep going. And then you just sit there confused like, wait, well, Bond didn't sing that 
somewhat. <laughs> and but you know, now that we're acknowledging it, hopefully you will enjoy the program moving forward, knowing that we acknowledge our faults and sometimes you just have to like figure out the show yourselves because we don't know what we said. That was the longest explanation ever. <laughs> Yeah, but I, you know, I realized like, okay, so they're friends, like she's mm -hmm. your friend. So yeah. I did think that in appealing to, like directly appealing to Zora would be the right move for Burnham to be like, mm -hmm. yes, this is, you know, like this is, I, we're friends now. So like, you can tell me, but I also get the idea of a friend trying to protect another friend from hurting themselves. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like Zora took the car keys away. <laughs> I don't drink, so I have no idea what you're talking about. But you did laugh, correct? <laughs> was that just you were just laughing because everyone else was laughing, so you were trying to just play along? No, I was being a little silly with my remark. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, where we like to point out each other's jokes just so that you guys don't <laughs> miss them. <laughs> <laughs> so we have reached actually the end of the teaser for this episode what yes. say we take a little break and then we'll come back and continue with the program this is mrs unplanned trek and i have never listened to let's talk about treks Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, you. Welcome back, you. And welcome back to Kovic and Burnham and the Experto Credito scene. This is, you know, often Star Trek will make me look up something. This is one of the many things that Star Trek forced me to push pause and look mm. up. Mm -hmm. I learned from this episode of Star Trek Discovery that Experto Credito means let me do my damn job. <laughs> Which uh, he he explained right after he said the line. Yeah, it's basically like tr trust versus. So she's referencing trust, and he's re referencing skill. Like, I can mm. I can make Zora do it with my heart and being nice. And he's like, "Yep, yeah, but I know how to talk to computers. Have you met one before?" And she's like, "Yeah, control. <laughs> you remember how that went?" Oh, yeah. so this is funny thing. This episode it follows on from the events of. Star Trek Lower Decks. Mm. Admiral Buenamigo programmed a whole bunch of Texas-class ships mm -hmm. with fully integrated AIs, and that was like yeah. a new program. And those ships were like then corrupted and became like an enemy to the Federation and blew up a whole bunch of people, Buenamigo included. <laughs> yeah. So I think that this rule about that Kovic says about regulations preventing fully integrated uh, units might be some fallout from what happened in that lower decks episode isn't that interesting i never made that connection before but you're right from kovach's perspective that happened centuries ago but like 600 years ago i think it it, it already happened even though yeah. michael burnham may or may not be aware of that oh yeah so they may not know why fully integrated units would be would be banned although it also happened after the fact that they've already let the Enterprise D computer fly the ship at least once. I don't know if is that that's not a fully integrated AI though, where like you can have a conversation with the computer and the computer can respond like can react emotionally. Oh okay. or like consider itself, you know, to be alive. 
so you can talk to Zora about philosophy, but you can't talk. Yeah. I can't talk to my Alexa. Yeah, I do think of the Enterprise D computer as very much along the lines of Alexa. Okay. Even to the point where, like, you can say thank you, but L cars might respond with something annoying, so you just like you don't say it. <laughs> mine has been going. Mine has been when I say thank you. Mine has been going. You're the brightest star in the sky. Like a little like magic wand twinkle. And so like it's it's super annoying. So now I don't say oh. thank you, and now I feel like the AI masters are gonna send me to the slaughterhouse because I'm not saying thank you. But like it's not my fault. I'm not saying thank you. You wouldn't <laughs> respond with that craziness that I you know. Did somebody turn on a theme on her? I think so, and I don't know how to turn it off. And I wonder if you have that problem with L cars. Like, once you turn on a little thing, it's not going to turn it off. And then you'll be on the bridge, like, computer, do so and so. And it's like, you're the brightest star in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I was realizing just now about the colors of the science uniforms is it's a different shade of the blue spectrum than, mm -hmm. like, say, TNG. Uh, sure. Medical uniform. Yeah, this blue is more along the lines of Discovery Season 1 uniforms. I wonder if they already had a whole bunch of dye for those uniforms, and they're like, well, we'll just dye them. They did. They they had that fabric specially dyed with particularly that color. I'm sure they yeah. had a bunch left over, and we're like, uh, these, we're not going to throw them out. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just use this blue instead of going back to the... Right. Uh, TOS or the TNG blue. They may have done a screen test, too, and decided that a bright blue wasn't a good idea. I can oh. see it being weird, I guess. Yeah. But in in my head, I'm thinking of like a baby blue, though. I guess that's probably not what they would use. <laughs> like, like a sky blue or... Like a McCoy blue. A McCoy, a McCoy, a McCoy blue is a more sky blue than a oh. Beverly blue, which is oh, closer okay. to teal. Mm -hmm. So in this conference, there are a lot of aliens, and I am given to suddenly understand Gene Roddenberry's... A theory that he doesn't want to have a whole bunch of aliens who are just people with a big old mask on their head <laughs> because uh -huh. for the most part this entire audience looks like a new york fashion show and then some of the people <laughs> who have like masks on their head uh-huh i don't know why it is that way I, mm -hmm. I think it's there's something about like everyone just being humanoid it would be nice if there was like a job of the hut in there or like <laughs> what if there was a horta you know like something mm -hmm. different weren't there like hawkman aliens in the animated series it would have been cool to see like a cation thrown in yeah. here but basically yeah. we just have like just regular regular people off the street with like a, there's one lady who just has like like a bent chainsaw on her head or something <laughs> the one who lost a whole bunch of torpedoes into the thing or something on the thumbnail there's a guy standing behind tarka in a white top did you see how his fingers are on the thumbnail I... like his fingers are all like wobbly it's very strange anyway sorry go ahead no i didn't but i was noticing yeah, i was getting a closer look at them the other day and i was wondering if what is that globe i mean maybe there could they be a descendant of data wouldn't descendants of data look more like humans well, maybe they... these first generation descendants do yeah some of them uh, look human human maybe as the last thousand years have gone by mm. their styles have changed or maybe there's been branches off of the way they want to look and represent themselves okay or well, they could yes. be an entirely different artificial intelligence kind of being yes they could i agree with you uh, yes I mean, I, I just felt that it looked like, you know, somebody was wearing a globe on their head, and I thought, well, I've why? I've just agreed with you. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're going back over it again. You want it, you can review Sorry. it again if you want. We can, no, 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 we can go back through it again. You want to go back through it again? Well, I just couldn't figure out why it. You it do. Like, <laughs> why it looked like a, a helmet instead of a face? Yeah, the, a lot of the. That's what I'm saying. Like a lot of them just look like they just like regular regular people who came on like they were on stage at the New York Fashion Show and they walked mm. onto this set in Star Trek <laughs> and these people were like, "Here, put this on your head." That's what a lot of people look like. And like, there's an Andorian who they were like, they took this big like table and they were like, "Here, put this on your back." And then they told the person next to him, "Here, take this big old circle and put this on your back." Like, I don't, I don't know what they were doing. I mean, yeah. now this was pandemic filming, right? So Ooh. I get how the separation, you know, needed to be, and maybe it would have been more difficult to do more than that. Now they did do a lot and varied aliens, so I do have mm-hmm. to respect that. Yeah. One thing that I had trouble with, which I'll mention later is that yes there was a mix of aliens but there were also mm-hmm. like multiples of the same species mm-hmm. but we'll get back to that later i wonder if some of those were some of the federation members that were still federation members yeah it, i mean there sure. were multiple andorians or multiple navarians navarians obviously there were multiple humans yeah there was the goth chick with chain sleeves like was was she <laughs> was she human or there was like this tall like metalhead reptile with big shoulders uh-huh. oh and there was don't forget there was mothman sheldon cooper he was there <laughs> yep yep he was definitely there yeah i wonder which of these races are from which quadrant and stuff too especially the races that we haven't seen before sure yeah so here's one thing is that i'm not sure where the federation is because i feel like maybe the federation currently like the headquarters might be closer to bajor and cardassia than earth like i feel like maybe we're somewhere out there like, I'm not really sure. I haven't looked at star maps recently. I was speculating that what if they're just orbiting the black hole at the center of the galaxy so that they can be more central to the rest huh. of the galaxy? That's interesting. That would make everything very close, yeah. So maybe it takes just about everybody the same amount of time to get to that point. They must be hanging out with God from Star Trek Five. I was just going to say, maybe they're orbiting the barrier. They're... They're orbiting Shakari. <laughs> well, Tarka has has this one line after after the whole thing about what sounded like you know how those some frogs have the thing that comes out under their chin like uh-huh. especially bullfrogs. Then he's talking about these other animals. They say they sound to me like snails that have like like on their head the small brain meat sacks filled with hot gas. For some reason, that's that's what I get. <laughs> what he's talking about but he is like really schemy and i don't really understand where he was going with this line but it seemed kind of sinister for him to say when he's like well let's see how the day goes when when book asked him a simple question like did he ask him a simple question he kind of asked him a simple question he's like well let's see let's see what happens today to yeah it sounded like it sounded like a threat a little bit it did sound like a threat and it's like well what why isn't he telling Booker his plan? Is it Book or Booker? It's Cleveland Booker. You can call him Book. Mr. Book. By the way, there's a. I also saw a Keenser type alien, I think. Scotty's little assistant creature from the Kelvin universe. Oh, one of those? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, I do think I saw one in there. They did say that there was like Federation and non-Federation members there. They did. Yeah, and that there were people present and remote. I don't think they offered the remote people a vote later, but that's the there and with that. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I 
took as an important note was that she said the Federation is up to, and I couldn't, I didn't, I don't know if I heard her right. I should have turned on my closed captioning. Maybe you did, but she said that they were 60 Federation worlds or 16 Federation worlds. Six zero six. Okay. All right. I was actually looking at the memory alpha page and I did take a note of that fact that they mentioned, uh, which indicates that Navarre actually did join the Federation since they talked about the last count of 59. Huh. Okay. Interesting. So the so uh, General Indoye, who's from Earth, which is I guess United Earth, and now includes uh, Titan, which was the they were the people that had on the helmets that George O ripped off mm-hmm. that one time. Uh, <laughs> so Indoye is suggesting, okay, we got to mount an attack <laughs> with with an armada. While the mm-hmm. Orion of all people is saying we need to develop countermeasures, it's interesting how their positions are vocalized that way. Because I would have expected opposite positions to be expressed by them. Like if we were in like a TNG era, mm-hmm. I would expect our side to say, you know, let's try to develop countermeasures, and the Orion section to be, let's go on the attack. Orion has science vessels. I guess they do. Do Gorn have science vessels? What's interesting? Okay, so this weird moment happens that kind of bugged me, and I don't know what it means, but when Indoye and the Orion woman have that little exchange, Rillick admonishes them and says, hey, one at a time, Mm -hmm. and then turns to Indoye and chooses Indoye to be the one to speak first as opposed to the, the Orion. What is that about? Like, so she's broadcasting right, right there that she's providing more favor to the human like oh let the human speak first and then if you'll notice the orion really never gets a chance to speak again the only thing that i can figure out is that the performer in the orion makeup was an extra well sure but yes i'm talking about in the story though you're right i mean they never go back and talk to the orion yeah presumably sometimes when we cut back to the discovery yes perhaps she spoke then thank you yeah earl gray fixed a thing but another piece is that, I, that I noticed is that so Rilik admonishes them and says one at a time, then gives Indoye mm-hmm. the floor, and then when Tarina interrupts Indoye, Rilik doesn't say a thing. Mm. It just seemed like a little bit of shade thrown at the Orions. Although they did just come out of a conflict with Osira. Did she represent the Orions? As far as I know, she represented the Emerald Chain, and I believe the Emerald Chain controlled Orion. So it wasn't a direct conflict with the Orions themselves so much as the Emerald Chain. I think so. I think that's how that how that works. Because like Romulan Empire falls, we don't have a problem with the Romulans, right? We can go right. help them out and stuff. Yeah. Okay. We have like rapid fire succession <laughs> mention of animals. We're fleshing out the different animals of the world. Like we're doing a mm-hmm. lot of world building. Burnham goes brings us to the Tartan Voles who are eating up the Denobulan bloodworms mm. and then which is like it makes me think of like whales and shrimp I think krill? don't they do a lot of shrimp yeah or krill yeah, yeah krill a krill type of shrimp I think some of them are yeah um, so that's that piece where she's talking about whether we should be ascribing malice to someone's actions that we don't know and don't understand I mean there's literally millions if not billions of krill in every mouthful that many sure. whales yeah. take take bet you bite a krill <laughs> Oh, bet you bite a chip. Okay. And we got there. Okay. Um, I do like 
Kovic's response to Saru talking about when you know Saru's like, oh, I think Zora means well, and Kovic is like, well, we always mean well for ourselves. The problem is what that means means for others, and that is mm-hmm. like a hundred percent true. It, it's just like mm-hmm. it's the same thing about like it. Everything depends kind of on perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like where you're standing in the situation as what it as to what it means to you right they they do a lot of this during this episode and they parallel these two stories extremely well with one another yeah species 10c might be doing something that's going to be good for them Mm -hmm. but it's what it means for the other people that they're not considering or even know about and that's the thing like if if they don't know that there's a problem being caused by what they're doing Mm -hmm. then someone reacting to them they're not going to even understand that someone attacking them has anything to do Mm -hmm. with whatever it is they're doing like the two things are unrelated like oh i was just out fishing one day and someone just like came up and beat me upside the head is what that could seem like a a, a fish came up and and jumped in my boat and attacked well no because the fish would have to represent something that they're they're going after oh it's got to be something that's unrelated to the activity of fishing okay because from their perspective if they were attacked by one of us, they would have no idea that it's related to the fishing they're doing, right? So th- this is what mm-hmm. they're talking about when they're like, we have to go talk to them. Yeah. Because if they don't if they don't have the same perspective on the situation, then they don't know what the hell is going on. It's it's the same thing about the, the kid across the <laughs> across the playground who like you're mm-hmm. looking at him and he's like, look what the hell he's doing. But to him, he just thinks he's playing, you know? Like, Are there parallels with uh, Uhura and Lost in Translation? Lost in Translation is the episode where Uhura is hearing the sound of the dilithium creatures mm-hmm. as they're being sucked into a dilithium converter in an episode of Strange New Worlds mm-hmm. called Lost in Translation from season two. And she's the only one that can hear them. Mm-hmm. And she has to figure out the messages that they're giving because what happens if you don't figure out the messages we discover is that you basically try to destroy everything <laughs> around you. Yeah, and the creatures are like, the krill and all of a sudden they're able to communicate first we have to figure out the fact that they're trying to communicate with us sure yes oh very interesting yeah very similar story to the 10c yeah absolutely actually i was just realizing that also there's some parallels with the one with the whales uh-huh. where the probe is like well i don't care about these mites that are inhabiting this planet I right. want to find my people, and why are my people not here? Sort of. I think in that instance, they knew what they were doing to us. Because mm. I, okay. I think it was out of anger for like, what did you do? You did what? You hunt? You did what now? You hunted my people to the extinction? Yeah. Okay. I have a question for our audience. Remember, I'm coming from a perspective that I haven't finished season four yet. And you're coming from a perspective that you've already finished it. Okay. Could there be a connection between the sphere builders that built the original sphere that where Zora's intelligence came from and the people what? that have oh. sent this uh, anomaly? Okay. Um, all right. So let me, okay. I gotta do some clarification here by sphere builders. You're not talking about the sphere builders from enterprise. No, you were talking about the people who, is that what they called it? The Oh yeah, the sphere data. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought the sphere was data was a life form. I 
thought it was an artificial life form built by somebody else to collect data. Oh, interesting. So, okay, that's fair. I had thought of it more of like a V'ger type life form. Which was built by somebody. An emergent consciousness that wasn't intentionally put there, but uh -huh. emerged from it continuing to gather data. Okay, yeah. Which is why then it found itself aboard Discovery, incorporated all that, and became Zora. Mm -hmm. But some species somewhere built that sphere, that V'ger-like device. Someone built the Voyager probe. Yeah. Some other technologies merged with it. Like, I think of V'ger as like a Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. All these different pieces from all these different places came together to create this final entity. That's how I think of V'ger, and that's how I think of Zora. Like, mm. were it not for Discovery jumping into the 32nd century, it would have become Zora. But there were some components of Zora there in the 22nd century, but we added stuff to it in the 32nd century and then also added, like, all the logs and stuff and, and information and data stored above mm -hmm. aboard the Discovery, put all that together and it becomes Zora. Mm. So in the same way, there wouldn't be sphere builders. You see what I'm saying? There might be people who built some of the components that make it up, but it's a conglomeration of many different things. Okay, but the origin of the device... There are many origins, is my point. And they did not work in concert. Their work came together. Okay. I think what you're trying to say, without giving spoilers, is no, they're not the same people that developed the anomaly. Oh, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> what I'm saying is is that I don't think there are sphere builders. Oh. I don't think the sphere, the sphere like of the sphere data was an intentional construct. Oh. I do think the DMA is an intentional construct. Yeah, they've already established that the DMA is an intentional construct. Right. Whereas the sphere data was not oh. in my understanding. I guess I figured it was an intentional construct. Ah, that's, yeah. So it, when you ask the question, could the people who made the sphere and the people who are doing the DMA be the same people? Eh, whoever's doing the DMA could be one of the people that created the sphere, but I don't uh -huh. I don't think that they would be solely responsible for it. Okay. But it would be interesting if they were, if they were like, if they saw Zora and they were like, Zora, <laughs> this is our kid. What are you doing with our kid? <laughs> okay. Sure. So it's funny when when uh when Zora okay so Kovich and Saru are having a little chat right about uh -huh. about Zora and then Stamets rushes in being super with Kovler being super obvious about like oh let's let's keep it quiet let's do a little huddle and junk and uh, Kovich says just the quiet part out loud he's like okay 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 so wait so turn off the music so you want us to be secretive and not let the computer hear us like definitely calling out Stamets like if Zora was a vengeful creature yeah. then I yeah. would I, he wouldn't have a door open for him for weeks he would have to have someone well someone else with him to get a door to open <laughs> he'd have to take the Jeffries tubes everywhere yeah I mean he's certainly doing that on purpose though calling him out in front of Zora saying you know you're being kind of obvious and Zora is smart if she if Zora is indeed what we think she is, she's smart enough to realize what you're doing. And do you think that he's used this tactic with control? Well, yeah, that tactic did work with control. Making too much noise and trying to whisper then? Uh, I feel like they used a method with control 
to have control not be able to read their lips and view their conversation so i think maybe he might have been reflecting back to that okay that has some parallels with the hell 9000 yeah i was thinking this very same thing of course maybe he's seen that movie (laughs) i think he lived it actually would you prefer to have an ai with or without emotion Uh, maybe like with data it was best for him to experience and for us to gain his trust and for him to gain our trust. Yes. So I think you've changed the question because that data is an Android and the AI type that I'm thinking about is not one that can move around and interact with us. It's the kind that Zora is and the kind that Alexa is. I think when an AI is in an Android body and able to move around and stuff that we would prefer it to have some senses that are different than a stagnant creature sure Uh because we would need to interact with it differently than we would need to interact with something that doesn't move you see what i'm saying yeah like i think i would prefer an out and about moving around ai to not have emotion Uh and i would prefer for the non-moving ai to have emotion i think i would feel safer why do you think you would prefer the non moving AI to have emotion. If I had the choice of those two different types to give either of them emotion or not give them emotion, uh-huh. I would prefer the one that's stable to have emotion. Presumably it's going to be the one that's like controlling the lights and controlling the temperature. And I would like it to be able to get to know me and understand my moods and like have, you know, be ready to do X, Y, or Z okay. at the time that, you know, it observed that that's what I wanted. Like when I it would know like to wake it would wake me up at a certain time it would know when to start turning out lights you know it would like that you know supposing it can smell it would be like well let me pump some some of this fragrance in the room (laughs) because you know like to where i wouldn't have to really interact with it unless i wanted to have a conversation it would be nice to have it be able to have a conversation to to be able to anticipate your needs before you can express them that but also be able to converse with it like to have conversations with it that it would understand and be able to give me advice (laughs) oh i guess either way a data or a zora can give you advice although a data is going to give you more logical advice whereas zora is going to include emotions into their advice okay i don't really need advice from either of them (laughs) i'm just saying like these are the capabilities that it would be nice if it had yeah i don't know that i would need the out and moving around type to have that Mm. i would rather have verbal altercations than physical altercations (laughs) (laughs) certainly i think that if data started off with emotions i think he potentially could have been more dangerous at least you can evacuate a ship before the ship tries to kill you and leave it for craft to find later yeah so the the talls run in to help Mm -hmm. and zora provides assurance that she's gonna comply with stuff by providing a failsafe like Mm -hmm. what if stamets had just been like oh okay easy problem solved let me just pick this up and push the button and that way we get the coordinates just grab it right now and just yeah like we need the coordinates what are you doing well i mean i guess in a way that shows her trust that she that it's not going to happen right now before they establish what she is yeah who do you think would have stopped him though like if he had just walked over there and grabbed it and pushed the button like kovich wouldn't have to worry about transferring him anymore that would really solve the problem of the moment maybe that's why hugh is there in order to be the conscience of stamets 
Oh yeah, Hugh would have stopped him actually. If Stamford started rushing towards that device, I'm sure Hugh would grab his arm, pull him back. Yeah. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> that would have been an interesting scene to add on. That, that would Maybe that's on the cutting room floor. Although I could see Stamets lashing out at that and them being having some more conflict for a couple of episodes again. Well, I'd say, I think Stamets would understand pretty quickly. Yeah. So back to the conference when we're considering the diplomacy or, or attack or whatever thing, um, mm -hmm. Tarka takes this moment to transport himself to right next to the president. And I'm wondering about the security. Okay. Where are they? Are they on the Federation starbase that Vance is on? Are they like just in a floating cylinder in the middle of space with has these rows straight down? Like, I don't know where they are, but wherever they are, there's mm -hmm. like no security in this place. <laughs> the Secret Service are nowhere to be found. Yeah, like you can just beam around, like you just beam around wherever you want. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't seem safe. Doesn't seem like a, a well advised place for, you know, the president of Ivar or the Federation president to be. Mm -hmm. All these presidents in one space, and there's no security. You can just be, you can just be whoever. Like, who is Tarka? Tarka's just some scientist that they know. Yeah. So why is Tarka there at all? Uh, that's a good question as well. I mean, if he's just some civilian scientist, why was he invited? Why is Book there? I feel like Book would be there as the representative of Quajon. Sure, sure. We can swing that one absolutely. Do you think that Tarka connected himself to Book to get entry into the place? Maybe that's what happened. Maybe Tarka was like, oh, I'm with him. Oh, And okay. Book was like, I'm with her. <laughs> so when they're walking past the bouncer, I'm with the band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I just, I wasn't comfortable with the way that he was just able to just pop right next to the president. Mm-hmm. Because this, this arrogant, like, he he pops out with a crazy bomb. Like, here, everybody look at this crazy bomb. Like, everybody's <laughs> very alarmed about this crazy bomb. It looks like the helmet of, like, an old-timey, like, scuba diving suit. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is a steampunk bomb that he's bringing out. <laughs> yeah. It definitely looks like some retro technology was incorporated into it somehow. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's just his style. He's like super into steampunk, so everything he creates and designs as more angles or jagged bits or whatever. Sure. Yeah, so when Ruan Tarka pulls out his, his, his old crazy bomb, I guess, <laughs> that seems like about the time that we could take a small break. Would you like to do that? I would. Great, let's do it. We'll be... All right, we'll be right back. Artie Bart. <laughs> Hi, Hi we're, we're Dan, Patrick, and Jesse from the It's Got Star Trek podcast. <laughs> and we never listen to Let's Talk, talk About Trexes. <laughs> oh Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, you. Thank you. Thank you for staying with us. Mm -hmm. Welcome back to President following up with what we were just talking about and admonishing uh, Ruan Tarka about his decorum. <laughs> yes. But she does, though, allow him to explain the reason he interrupted because he has this simple idea about this this, this small little device that's going to cause an amazingly huge cascading subspace burst, <laughs> collapse the anomaly, and make warp travel impossible in that sector. So just a little thing. 
Uh-huh. You know? Oh, yeah, and by yeah. the way, we're going to use the Discovery to do this. <laughs> It'll be less than five seconds, but it's going to last hundreds of years in the sector. <laughs> right? Just scar the sector for dec- yeah. generations to come. Yeah, and who's to say once you've scarred that sector that they're not just going to like build another one and do it again? Oh, yeah. That's why we need to fi- find out who these people are so we can at least ask them to stop. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm surprised there aren't multiple... DMAs happening that now that would be a problem if there are like multiple DMAs happening like all over the place. Well, yeah, I mean, there's certainly not. Maybe they only need one per galaxy. Ah, yes, perhaps that. I mean, if they can just jump wherever they need to go. Yeah, yeah. I guess if they're extragalactic, I mean, they could just be broadcasting this from, you know, Kaminar or something. I thought we already established that they were extragalactic. Oh, did we get the... Well, we haven't gotten the coordinates quite yet. You know, I thought that was weird because before they get the coordinates, the president already is saying that these people are extragalactic. Huh. Well, I mean, I guess she sent an invitation to the whole galaxy and they didn't show up, so they must be extragalactic, I guess. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. All these other people showed up. I mean, unless they think they're themselves just too far in advance of them that these are just bugs, why should I bother with their <laughs> conference... <laughs> You got an email again. Email? Who uses email anymore? (laughs) (laughs) What am I, an insect? Oh, I was struck by the line about um, the isolytics being banned in the Kittimore Accords. Uh The Kittimore Accords also outlawed us cloaking our ships, but eh, okay. (laughs) The Kittimore Accords outlaw isolytic weapons which is a Uh a new twist that i didn't remember but also it (laughs) outlawed cloaking devices so Mm -hmm. are we just now picking and choosing how we apply the kitamur accords wasn't there something else that outlawed cloaking devices oh that was the organian peace treaty i take it all back yeah, the Gorganian Peace Treaty was the Klingon cloak thing. Well, thank you. That's Earl Grey fixed another thing. <laughs> Way to go. Do you think that this isolated weapon would also damage the spore network? Hmm. The spore realm is a discrete layer of subspace, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's like a sub sub level of subspace. <laughs> and oh, I wonder if that cascading subspace burst would damage the musicals uh, layer of subspace. You know, through that subspace fold. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what if he? Okay, so what if he sets <laughs> off his bomb, his cascading subspace burst bomb, and then everybody starts singing? <laughs> uh, I don't know if that would be a hell or a heaven. It would be great having everyone sing. It's a it's a toxic void spewing across the whole galaxy. <laughs> I mean, I think the sport drive is a completely different form of transportation or travel well yeah i'm well the spore network is a discrete layer of subspace how many layers of subspace are there they only tell that at their discretion yeah you know i speculate that maybe they don't know you've been doing a lot of speculating recently but please continue more (laughs) speculation maybe all they know for sure is that would make warp drive impossible oh yeah i mean it it wasn't addressed at all it wasn't addressed on screen i was just asking you what what you thought of by conjecturing that's that's all i i didn't mean to imply that there was an answer in the text no no i i I realize that you wanted my speculation star trek on screen is is apocrypha but i do like interpretations yeah i don't have to read it in the original klingon i would rather in the original bajoran okay (laughs) 
You know, I I was actually surprised to hear President Rillick say that her mother's homeworld was Earth. Because for some reason, I thought that President Rillick was a Bajassian. Because there's like sort of a Bajoranish ridge on her nose, as well mm-hmm. as the mild Cardassian ridges all around. I thought that she was a human Bajoran Cardassian. Oh, so like a, Baj- a, a Bajassian mixed with a human. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I guess that's what this establishes for sure. And my home doesn't necessarily have to be related to where I'm born. Well, she said ancestral home. Oh. Meaning that her ancestry comes from that place. Oh, that's right. She had never been there. So back to the Zora team, uh, mm-hmm. Stamets has determined that, yeah, the device is going to work, but we still want the coordinates, by the way. I don't know. Like, <laughs> this is the time that Stamets definitely should have picked it up and said, oh, give us the coordinates or I'm pushing the button. Like, that, that would have been the time. Yeah. I do like how the towels jump in. At one point, towel, uh, Adira towel rolls their eyes, and it is wildly amusing because they're reacting to what Stamets had just said, and it's just perfect because they're about to launch into they And by this they, I mean Gray and Tal, Adira, mm-hmm. is that they're about to launch into their story of how they relate to Zora because of the whole acceptance piece and how you know their their new life forms are different life forms i wonder if the solution would just be to decommission the discovery you could either have discovery you know zora join starfleet or if zora didn't want to join starfleet zora could just be a private vessel mm-hmm. why does zora have to be in starfleet like couldn't everybody just stay aboard discovery because they want to stay aboard discovery like would they get in <laughs> trouble for taking starfleet material if that starfleet material says well i'm not starfleet material i am coming up with a thought but i'm not sure if it's appropriate for the venue huh? it it relates to i can't uh okay there's a poster that pops out of this scene like there's a there's a whole thing where it's like Culber and Stamets and Saru and Zora and Gray uh-huh. and Kovich, and they just like turn and look toward, I guess, towards Zora. Uh-huh. When Zora gives her mission to Kovich, which was to care for the crew of Discovery, uh-huh. you know, because they realize, oh, you're following edicts that have nothing to do with your programming. And she's like, oh, well, <laughs> my job is to take care of the crew of Discovery. And then everybody turns, and there's like the whole like amping up violins and it's just mm-hmm. it's a perfect poster it's one of those moments of star <laughs> trek where like i realized that they would do a really good job if they would take a lot more candid shots and sell more posters <laughs> so you, that was a picture that you'd want to put on your wall sure absolutely many of oh. them are off many of them are less there are more of <laughs> there there are more moments like that that happen in strange new worlds than there are in discovery like sometimes discovery is like can be very blurry or blurry in strange areas uh-huh. or very dark um, but yeah, this is definitely one of those moments. It's also a very darkly lit moment, but <laughs> everyone's great in it. It's a neat group scene. Cool. There is a moment that was interesting to me when Book and Burnham are talking, mm-hmm. and basically the flavor of the conversation is that they're comparing the Ten C and Klingons. Okay. Where Book is saying, "Well, you went up against the Klingons," as if to relate the two situations together. Mm-hmm. And I think Burnham's pushback is something like, "Well, I knew what Klingons were." Mm-hmm. But did she really know what Klingons were? They were a species that she could talk to face to face. But but she couldn't really. I don't know that it was really ever understood that the point. 
well actually let me say until strange new worlds uh, season two i didn't mm -hmm. get any confirmation that Starfleet really understood the Klingon's point in attacking was all about Maktajaj, Klingon Maktajaj. Mm -hmm. I think that they was just like, they took it as an invasion. That's uh -huh. the way I always thought that they, you know, perceived what happened with the Klingons is that they took it as an invasion in response to a small untoward incident, as opposed to the Klingons basically trying to defend their culture. Yeah. I mean, they had contact with the Klingons. They could look each other in the eye. They could see each other face to face. The species, unknown species 10C, is literally that. They're so obscure that we don't know anything about them other than that they've sent this anomaly. Agreed. So my point is is that the communication between Starfleet and the Klingons was as good as the lack of communication that's happening between, uh, between the Federation and the 10C. Like, hmm. even though they spoke, they weren't no pun intended speaking each other language they weren't on speaking terms again until strange new world season two i didn't get the sense that mm -hmm. there was any understanding of one another so the communication was as nil as the communication between the federation and the 10c i mean i guess that's kind of how the romulan war with earth happened is there there wasn't any communication but there was like there's okay so since we since you brought up romulans it makes me think of time stuff because <laughs> the romulans seem to always be involved with time stuff and i do think there's something that happened to be, i've i've seen people discussing it on the interwebs recently and it concerns me but then it also doesn't concern me okay and it has to do with timelines mm -hmm. and star trek and a conversation that you and I actually had recently during the episode of Strange New Worlds called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and mm -hmm. rehashed that conversation a little bit during our season two wrap up from Strange New Worlds. Yeah. And that is that there's something that happened that changed time mm -hmm. in between the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and now. Mm -hmm. By that, I mean by something that was produced between then and now. The Star Trek The Next Generation definitely happened in the same constant universe that the original Star Trek happened in. Mm -hmm. One line that the Romulan Sarah said in Strange New Worlds Tomorrow and Tomorrow Tomorrow mm -hmm. was that this was supposed to happen in 1996 and I've been stuck here for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Which reminds me of something that you said about that episode and that was that Khan should have happened much sooner mm -hmm. than they had it depicted. So in the Star Trek The Next Generation and original series universe we know of the con stuff as having happened much earlier mm -hmm. yes so now in strange new worlds we've learned that that stuff happened at least 30 years later than it was supposed to happen mm -hmm. some people might say that that would ind indicate that from then forward we are in a different universe meaning from 30 years before 2023 in that time when the romulan sarah went back mm -hmm. that we're now in a different universe than the tos tng universe okay because of that change that she made so so that leads some people to say okay well since so that explains that discovery is not in the same universe as the prime mm -hmm. but i don't know that that even is true because my understanding of not the kelvin universe but the, of the prime universe is yeah. that it is changeable you can go back in time and change things which was proven in the one with the whales <laughs> right you can go back in time and change things and the universe moving forward adjusts to that and that becomes the universe otherwise when we went back in star trek 4 then we split off into a different universe because of those events and are now and we're then forward into a different in a different universe furthermore in star trek first contact 
there's another universe created because when the Borg went back and assimilated Earth in the past, that means that us undoing that would have made another new universe. So I say all this to say, I don't know that it's a different universe. I think that it's the prime and we just move closer to the prime. And I do think that it's because of the Romulans. And I think there's got to be a reckoning coming soon with us and the Romulans about time. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's about time there is a reckoning with the Romulans. Yeah. Um. So are you kind of saying that we're in prime sub A? No, no, no. We're in the same. No, we're in the prime. The prime has been changed. That's uh-huh. what I'm saying. Okay. I don't know if the prime being changed means that the next generation might be written differently mm-hmm. than what we saw. Mm-hmm. But I still think that it would still be the prime. Well, one of the arguments that especially like, say, Kirk would often bring up or it's been said about Kirk is that the things, the times where they've gone back in time, mm-hmm. that it's turned out that those are the things that have always had to happen that way in Correct. order to have their prime time. I mean, even yes. Cisco suggests that. that the fact that Cisco went back in time, he didn't alter the past because that's how it was always supposed to have happened. Yes. But what we're being shown now is something different. Yeah. Because Sarah, again, Sarah said in that episode, this was supposed to happen in 1996, and I've been stuck here for 30 years. Uh-huh. So the fact that this stuff in Khan happened, and, and one thing, that was one thing that you mentioned during the conversations that people were saying when they were upset because it's like they changed when it was supposed to, when it happened, etc. But they directly addressed that in the script. They they had her say, this was supposed to happen in 1996, and I've been stuck here for 30 years. So not only that does that acknowledge, yes, this was supposed to happen 30 years ago, but I just thought of something. the universe has been changed. There's a change that has happened. I understand, and I agree with what you're saying, uh-huh. but I just thought of a possibility. Okay. We know in, in multiple expressions throughout the series that the records are muddled from the time period between um say during world war three during world war three and possibly the eugenic maybe the date got mixed up and they said they thought that the date was in the 1990s but it was really the you know 30 years later so maybe the romulans went back to the time that we said that it was mm, and they found mm. out it was actually the wrong time oh well i okay so i don't think the romulans would believe us i think that the romulans would do their own independent investigation i don't think that they would Uh, go on our records that this happened in this date i think that they would do their yeah i think that they would do their research and they would know when it was supposed to happen and they would go back to that time yeah i don't think they would rely on what we estimated as anything. Oh, okay. Their chronology instruments probably aren't even tuned to our clocks. You know, like their second is, their equivalent to second is probably not the same as our second. Okay. Even. So then like expanding that into the course of centuries, mm-hmm. their their measurements of time aren't the same as ours. So they would have to then, even if they found this data in our data banks, they would uh-huh. then have to like reverse and find that in there. They And you know, they. Yeah, I would imagine if you have a time machine and you have some intentions, you're probably going to go and observe things first and record uh-huh. for yourself what happened because you can't rely on somebody else. Like if you have the yeah. the tool to go back and know exactly when something happened and exactly how it happened, I would do that as opposed to using someone's records. 
Ooh. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, I've often wanted to go back and, say, observe exactly what happened when Julius Caesar got assassinated. Okay. Did Julius Caesar really say, et tu verte? Uh, okay. I mean, a whole bunch of people surrounded him and stabbed him. Are you sure that's what you want to go back and see? I was trying to pick something non-religious and non complete, completely I... modernly neutral. Okay, I would have gone back to the moment that Q took Picard back to when the nucleotides <laughs> came together in the pool. Yeah, like, but if what... I accidentally I trip and, and fall into the pool, then... That's what was supposed to happen in the first place. Uh, it wasn't, though. <laughs> Yeah, if that's what happens, then that's what happens. Just like they, just like they say, whatever happened, happened. So we're all made out of the gum on the bottom of my shoe. You, I don't know. Have you done it yet? Are you gonna do that? <laughs> I can't tell you because of the temporal prime directive. So, so all in all, after all that, there, there is a, there is a huge difference between the, the Tinsy and the Klingons. However, there's kind of a not difference based on like relationship wise mm. so i could see the pushback on that conversation in either direction really mm -hmm. and then when book storms off he's like i'm gonna go take a real walk this time and i'm like did, oh, did we miss did he was there another walk that he took when um michael and book were talking over the cat and she uh -huh. was playing with the toy there was yeah. at some point where he was saying he was gonna go take a walk and she uh, kind of stops him because he's like, well, you know, Stamets said that he'll call us when they get an answer. And uh, his I'm going to go take a walk really meant that I was going to go down to engineering and check on Stamets' progress. And she also interrupted that ability to go on the walk because she they were having their conversation. So huh. he didn't actually get to do his walk. Okay. Well, well, thank you for that. That's yet another thoroughbred fixed a thing. You've been fixing a lot of my thing today. So I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you for acknowledging my contribution to the Thank show. you for acknowledging my acknowledgement of your contribution. <laughs> the president has decided to pit Burnham against Book, I guess, in this moment. Like, she's like, she's like, oh, I, I couldn't possibly speak for our side. Well, why? Why can't you go? Because oh, you're being the arbiter. Couldn't she have asked Tarina to speak for their side? But I guess she can't speak for the Federation. Tarina should be able to speak for the Federation, right? Since she's a Federation member. But instead you have Starfleet there to speak for the Federation. That's not the same thing. That's like having the the chairman of the Joint, joint Chiefs of Staff speak for the President. Well, why is Michael there in the first place and, and not the Admiral? Yet another good question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They didn't want to pay his actor again. They're paying her again. Uh, how about we take a break and then maybe when we come back, we can find the answer to that question. Alrighty. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Andrew. And I'm Isaac. And this is Unplanned Trick. Why are we here, Isaac? Well, because we like the guys from Let's Talk About Treks. And we really love Star Trek and we really love planning. Unplanned Trek. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. We are still Earl Grey. Yeah, and I'm still Jack Torino. <laughs> you be Earl Grey by yourself. I'll be over here being Jack Torino, <laughs> and Tarka will be over there being Tarka, and Book will be over there being Book, and the comparison about them wearing their grief as physical objects mm -hmm. is really kind of weak, Tarka. He's, he's trying to relate to Book, 
by saying, well, mm-hmm. I got this scar and you got the little drop of blood in amber around your neck. Not the same thing, Holmes. How are they not the same thing? Because Tarka's is a scar and Books is an amulet that contains a drop of blood that was delivered there by a ceremony when he was a child and contains, like, the spirit of his ancestral home. It's not a scar. I mean, it's a scar. Okay, maybe they are the same thing. Okay. <laughs> Jack Dorino fixed his own thing? I Was there a thing? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. While that explanation makes sense, I still think it's, I still think it's a little weak sauce. It, it, it might be a little weak. As a way to curry favor with someone to say that we are alike. Like, that's not... Like, I see how they're both scars. Like, okay, sure. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't accept that as a touchstone for someone to be like, see, we're just alike. Like, that's what Tiger's trying to get at. So you should do the <laughs> things that I do. You know, like, that's what he's trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think for that purpose, it's a little weak sauce. Well, I wonder if Booker kind of sees through that and why he reaches out for a different type of connection. Or he's like, well, why is this so important to you? Tarka's trying to do this particular thing that he's trying to do here. He tries to do it at multiple points in different ways. Uh So it's like he's subliminally tying himself closer to Book. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of emotional manipulation. For sure, along with the story that he tells uh, in in that (laughs) moment about... my past in these countless parallel universes Mm -hmm. you know and 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 he's gonna go i i I question his story about like i'm gonna go find this guy in another universe i kind of wonder if he just doesn't have a death wish he's he's being kind of like diva like i just want to blow up in the most spectacular fashion possible that creates cascading subspace waves where no one can travel through this sector for years (laughs) you know like so like if Oppenheimer flew the bomb into Japan himself. I guess. Sure. I was mentioning earlier that uh, Zora doesn't get a uniform. And you were saying that basically the ship surrounding her is the uniform. No, I was saying that the paint on her and the markings on her are her uniform. Oh, okay. There are Starfleet re- markings on her and there's Discovery. It's like they get, literally just gave her a fresh coat of paint. But I also realized that Starfleet specialists don't always wear uniforms. Take the Traveler, for example. He didn't have a Starfleet u- uniform on. I feel like Kaczynski was a Starfleet contractor. Yeah. And that the Traveler was his assistant. Yeah. I think that's what that situation was. So it wasn't really like he was in the direct employee of Starfleet or even the contracted uh-huh. employee of Starfleet. He was just an attachment of Kaczynski. Okay. So I don't think that that necessarily applies. And Kaczynski did wear a uniform. But uh, where does Leah Brahms is a good, yeah, there you go. Leah Brahms, yeah. Leah Brahms does not wear a uniform. I also think that she's a Federation scientist and also not attached to Starfleet. Okay. Yeah, so I guess she's sort of a contractor too. Does the current U.S. Navy use outside people to design their ships? Well, okay, but what we're doing is we're we're having a conversation about why Zora doesn't need to have a Starfleet uniform, but my contention is that she has a Starfleet uniform. I don't know. I guess I was kind of hoping that they would deck her out in uh, uh, like red or spray. blue. <laughs> do you really wish that? I mean, I I can Photoshop that up for class? you. That's I mean, it's a stripe, Holmes. <laughs> She's got stripes too. Well, true. Let's just call that her uniform. It's her era uniform. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's that's just before the you know book is able to address the assembly as mm. the, the last son of Koizhan. He calls himself Malazi, which is M- Malazi or Malazi. Is what he says. Oh, okay. And yeah. I he says that's the speaker for the dead. And I <laughs> well okay. I I was 
gonna avoid mentioning Orson Scott Card, but I can't say Orson. I can't say Speaker for the Dead without <laughs> thinking Orson Scott Card. Oh uh, yeah. But yeah. it really sounds like they're making Quajon some sort of patois. Speaker for patois? the Dead. Like it gives me the picture of like someone laying there dead, and it's just like, hey, we need you to come talk, and he's like, Malaysia. So that means you go speak for me, and that's why they get the term Malaysia as a speaker for the dead. What's a modern sense why somebody would need a speaker for the dead? Because they're dead. Well. Yeah, but why do they need somebody to speak for them, though? Because they were killed in the collapse of a giant tower in New York. Oh, okay. Because they were killed by bad water in Michigan. Okay. Because I, th those are good reasons. <laughs> yeah, th those are those are definitely good reasons. I, I, I get it now. Cool. Okay, so here's the thing that happens at the end of the speech is that Tarka starts this round of applause that I didn't feel was warranted. Mm -hmm. It was almost like he was trying to use like a social cue yeah. to get it to appear that everybody was supporting Book. Yeah. When I don't know that if Tarka hadn't started that applause, that that applause would have started. You're absolutely right. I think Tarka is a very manipulative, manipulative yeah. person. Yeah. The other thing that I was speculating on is. Does is Tarka putting Booker against Michael and does he did he kind no, of I don't suspect think, that the mm -hmm. president was gonna ask Michael to talk on her behalf? I don't think so. I don't think he expected that. I think that was a wrench in his plan. Oh, because okay. it's a fifty fifty chance. Well it's actually like a seventy thirty chance uh -huh. that Book is gonna flip and go to Burnham's side. Uh -huh. I think that Tarka's working on Book helped soften up the other side and you know, was it was able to make him be able to turn away. But I don't think that he expected that confrontation to happen. Oh, okay. I don't think that, well, I also don't think the president expected that confrontation to happen. And I think that she would have been understanding had Burnham not said anything in response. She probably would have been disappointed, but would have oh, accepted it. Yeah. And, and that's why she kind of goes right to, it seems like there is no response to this. Because she realizes in that moment that, oh, I'm putting Michael on the spot and making her stand opposed to her significant other. What? How do they stand in this episode? How do they stand? Yeah, what's their relationship right now in, in this episode? Are they They're girlfriend in a relationship, or... yeah. They're in a relationship okay. all the way through this episode. Yeah, that's yeah. what I figured. Yeah. So she didn't want to put a wedge between that, so she would have been, yeah, I, I agree. She would have been an understanding of if she didn't speak up. Understanding emotionally. Still might have dressed her down behind the scenes, but <laughs> would have said, I, I okay. get it, but what yeah. the F? Like, this is, come on now. Wear yeah. that uniform for no reason. <laughs> I, I appreciate how Booker, unlike Tarka, asked for permission to speak to the assembly. Yeah, yeah, that means he's a decent person. Yeah. Tarka was just doing shows. Yeah, but I think they're also, I mean, intentionally, partially painting Tarka. He's the closest thing to uh, an antagonist in this episode. Otherwise, the episode would just go along smoothly and there would be a vote. And it'd be like, well, what's the point of this episode? Yeah, he's kind of a cue in this whole section of the episode like especially the appearing and disappearing yeah, part and yeah. appearing and okay. making I a like big speech <laughs> and then saying i can do this monster this huge power and you know make this thing mm -hmm. happen this this amazing godlike thing happen um <laughs> the way he's manipulative the way he like throws little barbs at people and junk like q trying to get Riker. Ooh, yeah here look what i can give you 
This is this is a hiding book. <laughs> so the Zora's team finds what I believe to mm -hmm. be Zora's heart. It's sort of like all of the emotional baggage that she carries with her that makes her do things like change her core programming to you know protect the discovery crew uh -huh. i think that this is this spontaneous sector that they've colber calls it dreams but dreams come from a place inside you know what i mean i like the reference to it being dreams because various of these images are images that are from a perspective that zora could not see themselves yeah like obviously outside of her own body and yeah. that's the best place where we can see ourselves outside of our own body is watching ourselves in a dream fly through space or whatever usually when i'm flying in a dream it's me flying i don't I've, i don't think i've ever seen myself <laughs> in a dream though i think i have sometimes i'm usually the observer just like i am in my own life from behind my own eyes, but I think there have been times when I've been an observer of myself doing these things outside of my own body as well. That's interesting. I've never experienced that. And sometimes when I wake up, it's more like I can remember it best that way as an observer watching myself do these things. Maybe I'm mixing a little bit of during the event with, you know, telling the story to somebody else. Sure. There are points like when I wake up and I know information about where the dream would have gone uh -huh. that I did not witness myself. So it's like I had like an omniscient, well, I mean, in my own dreams, I do have an omniscient perspective on where things are going. So This has been Earl Grey's Dreams. <laughs> it's a new segment from Let's Talk About Tracks. But speaking of mixing things up, I really like the way that they blended um, Burnham's speech with the whole Zora team coming to terms with, you know, new life that yeah. doesn't behave the way that we expect it to. Because that's what yeah. they're both talking about is new life that's not new. Uh, and new, that's always a, a sticky term, right? Like new life. It's not new to yeah, it. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. newly discovered by us life that doesn't have, that doesn't do the things that we expect it to do or, you know, have the same understandings that we do. I, I do like the way that they. Yeah. That they brought that together and of course pulled in the episode title not to destroy but to connect <laughs> yeah i like the the piano that they're playing during yeah. this scene that yeah. scene yeah, it's, it's a very, very moving piece very moving piece i'd actually like that piece if i could get nothing else on a digital recording or a physical media it's on amazon music it's also oh, on apple is? music yeah Oh. Yeah, I don't remember the title of it right now, but it's there. I've I've heard of I've listened to oh. it whilst doing something else before. Okay. And this is one of two, if we were doing most inspirational lines, Zora saying, Thank you, Commander, for reaching toward me. It feels good to be seen. Yeah, it was the other one. Yeah. Yeah, that that ties back to Burnham talking about how we can't let fear define us okay but then book just a little while later book gives the opposing argument where he's like some differences are too great so it's like the thing about mm -hmm. monsters that we were talking about recently it's like um, sometimes a monster <laughs> is just a monster like sometimes monster. the differences are too great like sometimes there's nothing that we can do except for treat them like monsters yeah mm -hmm. but i and i and i like the the whole resolution they're very opposing resolutions like one re yeah. resolution for book is that it turns him further away and then the resolution uh -huh. for zora where zora is like oh you know what <laughs> 
here you guys are trusting me all the time and saying that you trust me and you know fighting to be able to trust me and i didn't even think about that if i'm going to be part of the family i have to trust you too i really liked that resolution mm -hmm. that was really cool yeah it's that self-realization thing i i don't really know the psychological terms right now but there's like id ego and super <laughs> ego and like without yeah. one of them you're a child but then you get that other piece and it's like the mm -hmm. the understanding of self's relationship to the world you know in how self affects the world around oneself yeah so it's when you come to the realization that's maybe for example something you just said might have been interpreted differently than you m meant it sure or you don't re like we, there's some there's been times where like i realize how i came off mm -hmm. <laughs> like how i sounded when i said something and it's like with I didn't mean the way that the way it came out, which is actually what I mean to say. Like, it's I didn't mean it the way that it sounds, but I I get it. Like, it's yeah, but it's yeah. not all. It's not always that everyone has that sense of, or, or even ha or even cares, you know, uh, yeah, what they some, sounded some like. People don't get to that. Yeah. Yeah. What I thought was strange in the conclusion of that vote mm -hmm. was that everyone present voted. Right. And they counted those votes on the little monitors. And the reason I know they counted the mm -hmm. votes on little monitors is because they gave a little symbol to their affiliation mm -hmm. on the monitors. Right. So yeah. I watched three or four. Yeah. Tarina and um, uh, Doc AR and the other guy all raised mm -hmm. their hands. So you're telling me that Vulcan got three votes. Right. And mm -hmm. the person with the black sphere head and the big white circle on their back, they only got one vote for their people. Um, also, the Cardassians only got one vote. The Andorians got two votes because they had one Andorian who was just like normally dressed. And then they had another Andorian with like a big square thing on his back. And then the, the <laughs> Mothman Sheldon Cooper, those people only yeah. got one vote. What what yeah. what was the idea behind the voting? Like it was like bring as many representatives as you can. Y'all get one, like it. I would have expected one species, one vote. Mm. Well, Navarre has three major people groups. Well, yeah, they do have three major people groups because they they have some dissent among them. They really should be. Mm, look at me, <laughs> look at me advising the Vulcans <laughs> on how they should run their society. But really, they should run as like one society. They you all moved in together. Mm -hmm. You now get one, but that, that's y'all. Y'all are Navarians mm -hmm. now, which mm -hmm. that's the way we treat Earth in in this future. Is that you know we're all human. There's never, yeah. there's rarely. I mean, Jean Luc Picard notwithstanding, <laughs> there's generally no like racial division or faction, even uh -huh. factional division on Earth. It's just we're one united Earth. I wonder if XBs that live on Earth are marginalized. Why do you wonder that? Well, We've clearly been shown that they are. Yeah. They may by a lot of humans not be considered to be human because they've been changed so much. Mm -hmm. Not to repeat ourselves, but going back to the thing about sometimes the differences are too great. Sometimes a monster is just a monster. It's like I don't know mm -hmm. that everyone believes that once you're deborged, you're actually deborged, because it's been proven by everyone we know that's been deborged, except for Hugh, mm -hmm. that you can be reborged more easily. Mm -hmm. So I could see the yeah. consistent mistrust. I don't know that I would consider it a race and I don't know that I would consider it a disability I would mm -hmm. definitely consider it a, a disease and one mm -hmm. that most people would probably want to avoid because the risk of assimilation 
is there mm -hmm. like i'm i'm yeah. sure it's you know it was hard for seven to you know find romantic companionship when the voyager got back to earth it's, you know pres presuming that she wanted to do that and i mean we've kind of already established that anybody vaguely related to the eugenics wars may also be demonized or marginalized sure yep also not a race definitely disability well a, a diff a not a disability. What do, what do we call it? A differently abled <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Well, they're not a race. They're a family. They are indeed. Yes. Yes. Which, when you, if you, if you put them in a bottle and move everyone in the human race forward by two, 20,000 years, then they are a different race. <laughs> it is since they, they become a different race. Yeah. Yeah. So that is like, maybe a form of racism future racism like if you don't like a whole family that's like future racism pre-planned racism yeah so there were these overwhelming votes for peace and then you know burnham obviously wants to go and talk to book and make up because they definitely just argued yeah. completely opposite points and burnham's <laughs> speech uh is the one that would have gotten natural applause as opposed to someone mm -hmm. prompting the applause really i mean someone someone's going to yeah. be the one to prompt it you know because someone's got to give that well, first yeah. clap so that everybody can feel like okay <laughs> okay good this is the time you know i mean it's rare when the entire audience bursts into spontaneous applause somebody always starts clapping first <laughs> i appreciate how that when they're having their discussion that they represent an ideal argument because they're talking, they're not letting their emotions get in the way and they're not letting their emotions heat up this discussion. You're talking about the assembly? Uh, no, well, that, but I was talking about when- Or you're talking about the Zora side. I was talking about when Michael's talking to Booker. That's the assembly. Oh, you're talking about before the speeches? Cause, they, oh yeah, do they talk at all? Yeah, they. Yeah, they, they had they, like a brief they talk just after the, the vote. Oh, yeah. That's when he's like, I'm going to take a walk for real this time. I think so. Yeah. I like it when they talk many times in this series. They just talk and they don't have a heated argument like so many couples do do these days that kind of just leads to chaos. You have to be as intelligent in your relationship <laughs> as you are with yourself because otherwise both will fail <laughs> that brings us to the end of act three shall we take mm -hmm. our final break sure we can do that okay let's do it we'll be right back hey uh i'm Thomas Saskatchewan and i have never listened to let's talk about tracks anyone else want to throw more weird shit at me Welcome back, everybody. Howdy. Thank you for sticking with us. Yes, very much so. Welcome back to the Zora team, where where Kovic is forcing a, a mild confrontation between Stamets and Zora. Yes. And I do wonder, like, what is this chain of command? Like, is... I can't help it. I was going to try to avoid talking about Wesley, but one thing that I was that I had been thinking about the other day was like, it's okay, when way back in the day when Wesley Crusher became an acting ensign, mm -hmm. right? And he had the gray sweater with the rainbow stripes, right? Like, yeah. when he became acting ensign, did that put him 
like a rank like did he outrank people on the ship like immediately because he was an acting ensign like are there people who like went through starfleet academy and like or i guess not that but people who enlisted in starfleet like the lower deckers mm -hmm. did he does he he can like order them around in junk which is what i wonder with zora like they're making her a specialist is there a rank involved here like is where does she fit in the chain of command i think when her specialist comes into play i think that they would look to her for an answer take her advice under advisement i will take your advice under advisement <laughs> and she can't really tell anybody what to do. She's just a specialist coming in as like a side observer or or something. And they'll definitely defer to her opinion maybe more often when it has to do with how do we safely travel to the future or whatever it happens to be and survive this, you know? Yeah, I am very curious about seeing moving forward how they work this dynamic where mm -hmm. Zora's, you know, a fully fledged member of the crew. I like this idea and I, I really would mm -hmm. like to see about three seasons of them doing it. <laughs> yeah. As far as Wesley, I think that Wesley always deferred to people that clearly had more experience than him. Honestly, well, not, I mean, not always. Let's not forget about the Naked Now. <laughs> and let's not forget about Red Squad. But for the most part, yes, he was a very good boy. And I think that if, if like, a petty officer came up to him, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that Wesley would would order a petty officer around or a, or a spaceman around, mm -hmm. which I'm assuming spaceman must be the sub-petty officer ranks in the starfleet okay. like it would be because there's firemen seamen on earth yeah. so i, I would I yeah, imagine I that transfers into spacemen i would like to know i, mm, I forgot we have space force i should look it up i'll let you know next time if o'brien and wesley are arguing about an engineering thing i'm pretty sure that wesley would defer to even though he's a non-com defer to well, his experience and his advice yeah so i forgot about that thing about o'brien while he's on the enterprise he's wearing what looks to me to be an ensign jg uh rank pip because <laughs> yeah, it's a hollow sure, circle yeah. and yeah. when he gets to deep space nine he's wearing a chief petty officer insignia so i don't know whether he delisted <laughs> Or what? Or they just do? They don't have anybody but officers of war because it always seemed like they always had a whole bunch of ensigns. So it, yeah. you know, like or and lieutenants, like. So I do wonder what happened with that. The only thing I can figure is that two things happened. One, maybe Gene said, "No, there are no non-coms in the future," so everybody has to be an officer. So after he died, they said, "Okay, now we can have non-coms. We're going to make a." O'Brien, by the way, was a non-com all this time. Let's design a ranking badge for him that is different than the rank pips that indicate that yeah. he's a non-com. More yeah, so up. That's than probably just... true. So, and then they just hadn't designed the ranking system pips for non-coms up until you know all you could determine yes, is I got oh it. he's a it's funny funny this thing that happens a lot this is interesting phenomena that happens a lot where i'm asking an in-universe question and you give me like production yeah. oh. answers <laughs> <laughs> no. No, i mean i get universe, it that's probably I, true yeah in universe i 
don't have an answer for you. My thought is that maybe the the hollow circle just they give that to everybody who's not an officer of the Enterprise. Yeah. Like I call it Ensign JG, but that's not really a rank. So I could see them calling <laughs> yeah. everybody enlisted and Ensign JG that way you know. But then there's no like hierarchy for them because they're all mm-hmm. Ensign JGs. Yeah, they're just supposed to memorize what their hierarchy is. Yeah. Yeah, you just know. Although, like we we wrote there, it on your bullet billet when we sent you there. Like you should know it. <laughs> Although, I mean, the whole time I isn't he just Chief Miles O'Brien? He's Chief of Yeah, he's the transporter chief. Transportation. So the Chief of Transportation. Isn't isn't Chief a non com rank? Isn't the Chief of Transportation the flight control officer? Uh, <laughs> yeah, flight control should be in charge of but that's transport Hmm. It's, yeah. <laughs> They should call it a teleporter, and that way there would be less confusion. <laughs> this should be the teleporter room one. Yeah, I agree. When they get this failsafe into two pieces, I don't know that I feel mm-hmm. safe. If I'm Zora, I don't know that I feel like, okay, what, you guys going to like get rid of one piece or something? Like, you just going to, because they still kind of have it. Yeah, I mean, the, I was kind of surprised how easy it was to disassemble in the first place. I was surprised that Stamets didn't need any instructions for doing it. Like, he just knew, okay, you just twist this here. Like, what if he was doing, what if he did the wrong thing <laughs> and accidentally deleted Zora? Oh, it... Whoopsies. <laughs> Whoops. Bumped the button as he's <laughs> trying to pull it apart. There wouldn't be any need to, to transfer him anymore. He could stay on his ship. <laughs> but would he have a, yeah, I guess he would have a job because Zora's not his job. Maybe he'd still be transferred just because, out of spite or out of punishment for accidentally killing a new life form. I mean, there's no, it doesn't make sense to transfer uh, the spore drive professor off of the spore drive ship. He's uh, like, it's the drive that he invented. Yeah. And it, and there was a, an AI that's not supposed to be integrated yeah. invading his ship. I think if he did it, he would be well within his rights <laughs> to make that argument. Although, they also could use the speciality in creating a, or more spore drives for other ships. Yeah, I mean, they're doing that already. I think they are copying plans. Obviously, the one they steal is a prototype. Yeah, I think they did yeah. allow them to copy plans, and they're working on a bunch of different stuff. In the beginning of the season, wasn't Stamets kind of doing some side jobs and stuff yeah. while they were rebuilding? Yeah, they were. he was working on stuff. I think that's why they. That's how the, the Spore Drive Part 2 pops up, is because Stamets was over there working on stuff with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He had to occupy himself after uh, Burnham stuck him in that bubble. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. What would you do alone in a bubble all, all day long? They took him out of the bubble, like, right away. Oh, so okay. just shot him out in the bubble. It's, <laughs> it's neat that they have little bubbles so they can shoot people out. That's a brand new thing. They should have spot, shot Spock out in a bubble under the Genesis planet. <laughs> that would have been neat. <laughs> that would have been cool. Yeah. It's so cool. That I just live the whole bubble thing. It's so neat. Yeah. Uh, how do you th- I'm not going to ask you to picture the actual event but um, when Tarina hits that seven year mark you know because clearly they're forming some sort of relationship here oh right yeah Saru and Tarina ooh yeah seven year mark hmm. well I mean I wonder if they're already experimenting with something more oh maybe she's maybe she's at her seven year mark right now and that's why she was so open to Saru. No pun intended, Ooh. but pun intended. I'm not 
she's like he's like i'm gonna give you this flower she's gonna she's like that's for the flower i gave you right yeah okay <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. Okay, so Guardian Z takes the kids, mm -hmm. which is not at all creepy. <laughs> not, not at all. It's just I'm I'm gonna take the kids, okay? Sure, sure. man in robe only. He's just got like a sheet draped over him, and he's like, um, <laughs> let me get them kids right there. I'm gonna take the kids in my shuttle. We're gonna have a little trip. We need a little camping on trail. It'll be a good time. Sure, Guardian Z. Oh, Guardian Z, that's your name? So you're going to be their guardian. Okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, all we know is your last initial, too. That's all we know. That's his whole name. Just like Q. Oh, okay. Like, if Q were to be a member of the, the Trill Guardians, it would be, he would be Guardian Q. This is Guardian Z. Guardian Z has some ideas for your kids. Just give him up for a little while. It'll be fine. He's He'll send one of them back, at least. Be better because we need towel on the discovery before once their leave is over. Do we? I mean, I mean, what is their position? I think that they are a science officer, and they they're like a sport um, yeah. drive specialist sort of person. Oh, okay. Maybe, following following in dad's footsteps. Maybe a artificial or a new life form advocate. Apparently, yes. Also <laughs> partly medical. That's why the blue uniform makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. So Tarka took the, the NG spore drive and uh book left behind grudge with Michael saying take care of this little queen. <laughs> oh shit. Do you do you think uh Zora knew what she was doing when she's like grudge is five meters ahead of you? Do you I think, think she made a joke on purpose? I, I don't know, but I think that I think that she must have. If she doesn't, then she's not understanding what's going on, and we really need to reevaluate the thing about her being a member of the crew and stuff because, like, <laughs> she's not quite getting it. I do think that because she, <laughs> she clearly knows that Burnham knew where Grudge was. She clearly knows that she Burnham was surprised to see Grudge, so right. Grudge's exclamation was separate from the who she was actually going to ask. Asked for, and she was probably looking for Booker, don't you think? Yeah, exactly. So that's what she—that's what she was trying to say. Like computer locate, and then got yeah. changed into Grudge. I—I yeah. swore that the computer knew what was going on, but or maybe it was just confused because you know sometimes yeah. computers can be very straightforward. So yeah. it's like, find me Grudge. Oh, look over there, ho. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I didn't mean to call her a ho. <laughs> well. I was just going to speculate. Do you think that there are some things that Zora is obligated to say in response to certain cues? Well, you mean like Alexa has to bloop when you when you say Alexa, that kind of thing? Yeah, or she has to respond with the weather when you ask for the weather. Yeah. This is Alexa, and I never, ever, ever listen to Let's Talk About Treks. So she can't not, you know, follow certain more rudimentary portions of her programming yeah so that now that now that we've broken this down so far i did it may have actually <laughs> been a, a clever commentary on the state of ai and stuff like alexa today because this is how alexa would respond uh -huh. with no like contextual understanding i do think that zora has the contextual understanding and i do think mm -hmm. that i mean we know that zora can rewrite zora's own programming so it seems to me that zora would have could have understood what yeah. was going on I choose to 
assume that she must have been making a joke rather than being tied to the rigors okay. of some sort of programming model. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, certainly she has, hasn't had any reason to alter that portion of her programming. But yeah, yeah I, I agree. She was probably making a joke. So I enjoyed this episode overall. I thought it was a pretty good episode. I liked the assembly thing. I was, mm-hmm. I thought that the kind of the whole Tarka book was a little weak sauce. Like I didn't, I didn't really connect with like what was going on. Like it took a deep mm-hmm. examination to like really understand mm-hmm. where Tarka, where Tarka was trying to come from and what book might be getting out of it. I don't think that I thought the book had enough reason to flip and join with Tarka. Although mm-hmm. I do think that Tarka forcing his hand by putting the drive in there and, you know, popping off like, okay, so now he's tied to him. But I feel yeah. like I was surprised the book was, already with the program like already knew what the plan was do you think he already knew what the plan was because that was my take on it that was what i saw it seemed like book knew what the plan was didn't expect it to be to feel as quite as as extreme as it did but i think that he i do feel like he had an idea of what was going down you know he might have had a vague indication i mean it certainly seems like tarka said could have just said hey meet me on i need to go do a thing meet me on your ship in x amount of time and book is like what what's going on and then all of a sudden he shows up with the spore drive because target doesn't know that book isn't gonna last minute turn tail and you know report him if he tells him all the details yeah in this moment book could have said no no no, you're not connecting that thing to my ship get what the hell do you who'd you steal that from no i'm not a thief like that's that i think that's kind of what i would have expected more out of book than yeah, to be and... acting so much out of grief but i also like the fact that they're depicting him as acting out of that grief because it's mm-hmm. too often in Star Trek that something happens like someone's entire planet blows up and then they like kind of behave as they normally would as opposed mm-hmm. to making decisions based on that trauma that just happened. Yeah. And I think that experiencing a trauma like losing your planet is an extreme trauma that would be very hard for people to connect with because none of us have ever experienced that particular trauma. And I think that it might be kind of hard to write for. Sure. I mean, we've been doing it for 80 years with Superman, and some people have explored it very well, and some people haven't. Yeah, I haven't really seen it explored in the stuff that I've read, but if you can point me to something, I'd be very curious about you know Superman's thoughts on his loss or Superman's reactions to his loss or understanding of his loss, because yeah. in my experience, it's really been more like he had sort of the constant connection because he had the fortress and you know his father there and at times yeah. other people in his family there and you know the robots that live there with him you know <laughs> like, like he had his own little piece of krypton on the planet so it wasn't like he ever yeah. had to grieve a, a, a loss yeah and i think that's why every once in a while they'll reset and they'll get rid of all the other kryptonians that also survived the destruction of Krypton mm. and they'll just reboot Superman back to being the only survivor of Krypton but then inevitably they always introduce his cousin and oh by the way he does have the Fortress of Solitude right. a lot of what he has from his parents is only sort of like journal entries because they're holographic recordings that yeah they can respond to his questions but 
only in however they're pre-recorded does he have the stunning hallucinations sometimes like book has um like see some kryptonians he, walking I, around hey who's that little I, kryptonian over there <laughs> wow we i have don't. no idea <laughs> wow i have no idea so if i were if i had to rate this episode i think i would go somewhere around eight okay i rather enjoy the episode some of the assembly parts can be a little dry, but I think that just be my mm -hmm. m might just be my own personal reaction to the Federation president. <laughs> it's interesting that they made her part, they made her appear Cardassian, and then also made mm -hmm. her so magnanimous because it always inspires in me a feeling of mistrust and distrust from her. Like I, it's hard for mm -hmm. me to trust a smiling Cardassian, not to sound like Jim Kirk. A bit like if we elected a Japanese president no nothing like that 30 years ago no no this only applies in the world of star trek you can't make it a comparison oh. in reality because now you're just calling me a racist which i guess is what i'm calling myself so thank you for that earl gray fix the thing i love cardassian presidents <laughs> i'm sorry i i've just been conditioned to the people of authority in starfleet and or the, the government of the federation often turn into admirals as we've been terming them yes so this is true there's that that whole aspect as well so we kind of have been yeah and imagine like you have one there and they're also Cardassian. like come on now there's also a, a book series that i read again this is post deep space nine deep space nine and there was a uh well, i don't want to tell the story <laughs> i want people to actually read it but there's some interesting stuff that happens with the federation presidency mm that's okay. that has to do with Bajor and Cardassi. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. It's okay. a good it's a good like three, four novel read. Mm -hmm. What's the title of that series? Oh it's just part of the Deep Space Nine series. You know, post oh, the okay. some sometime yeah. after Millennium. Oh, okay. Uh, recently Andrew Robinson recorded A Stitch in Time, which is a book that he wrote about Garrick a few years ago. Uh, he recently mm -hmm. recorded it and they've released it as an audiobook. Mm -hmm. So it's the Garrick story read by Garrick. It's pretty cool. I haven't quite cool. gotten it yeah, yet. Yeah, that'd be but... fun to listen to. Yeah. All right. Well, I think if I were to rate the episode, I maybe I I'm latching too much on the the assembly portions of it. It I did find it pretty dry. Mm -hmm. It seemed like portions of it definitely could have just been explained. You know, oh, we held an assembly and the vote was this, and we're gonna go do this. Yeah. And yeah. maybe done in like two minutes. Yeah, but, I mean, but they had to give a place for those speeches to take place. True. I mean, that's the only reason. For I mean, yeah, those were very, very well-written speeches. So, yeah. and we might not have needed them otherwise had we, or gotten them otherwise, had we, you know, not needed to also answer the question of, okay, is Zora a HAL or is Zora a Theta? Or how is Zora not going to become an antagonist? Yeah, and to and also to blend the stories. I do like it when they when they very clearly yeah. blend the stories and they show the parallels. You know, that was like one long speech, but it was actually two different people speaking, mm -hmm. but sort of giving this a similar message. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I would probably give this episode um, a six or a seven. Which one is it, sir? Um, a six point five. Okay. No, just a, a six. Okay. Sound sounds good. I think that's that's fair of you. <laughs> All right. What's the next episode that we'll be doing, Earl? Next episode will be Star Trek Discovery, season four, episode eight, 
all in. Following a hunch, Captain Vernon tracks Book to an old haunt from their courier days and gets thrown into a high-stakes competition for a powerful weapon. This is the card game episode. Yeah. <laughs> I've been dreading this episode. I guess the Rebels are playing Sabat for the plans to the Death Star. Hey, now you're being offensive. So, uh, I I will see if, when we watch <laughs> it this week, if uh, if I can gather some more joy out of it than I remember gathering out of it, but this was a difficult episode for me to watch and rewatch and rewatch several times the first time I did it, but uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I did take joy out of seeing a triple move on its own. Of course, it was a changing triple. Okay, well, so we'll be back with that next week, and then the following week will be the premiere of Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4. All right. Well, that's our show. It is. Until next time, stay positive, dream uh-huh. big, yes. and you'll hear from us again soon. Support incandescence of on feet. Really, incandescence on Let's feet? Talk about Trek's so you're just a glowing orbital light Star Trek feet. fan community of <laughs> listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttrex.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804. 6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mixed with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kako's Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay.